Good morning and uh, welcome to our service here at the Crescent. Uh, whether you're joining us live or catching up later in the week through our website, uh, we'd like to make you fe all feel welcome um, as we join together to worship the Lord and Saviour. Um, it's a bit of a novelty for me uh, being back in the building, even if it's front of uh, a bunch of empty seats, but I've been working uh, at home since March, so it's actually a bit of a novelty to even be out of the house by this stage in the day or to be wearing a shirt for that matter. Uh, but we're grateful that we can still meet as a church uh, for worship, even if it is from the comfort of our own homes. And we're also really thankful for all of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes to make our, our services happen. Uh, this, this morning we'll be focusing on international aid, and we're delighted to have Johnny Farrell back with us. Uh, Johnny is the Northern Ireland Director of Stand By Me, and he'll be sharing with us about their work later. Uh, so, Johnny and his wife, Laura, uh, were members of Crescent for many years and have two children, uh, Karis and Matthew. Uh, great to have you with us, Johnny, and we, we look forward to what you have to say. So, uh, Johnny is going to come uh, to speak, first of all, to the children. Uh, so, boys and girls, I hope you're, you're listening and you enjoy what Johnny has to say. Uh, but before that, let me open in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts. No matter what the, the previous weeks and months have brought, uh, we've been reminded this morning in our breaking of bread services of your love and sacrifice for us. Uh, we thank you for the start of some encouraging news uh, over the last few weeks around the vaccine rollout and lowering of infection rates and the first signs of restrictions being lifted. Um, Lord, we continue to pray for those who are having to make difficult decisions about how to get us back to normality, both within our church, with our local leaders and, and the government. We pray that you'll give them wisdom, uh, Lord, and, and compassion to make the tough decisions around what to do with vaccines. Uh, Lord, as we focus our minds today on international aid, we're mindful now more than ever uh, that we live in a fallen world. And we know that there are so many people in need. Uh, so we thank you for organizations like Stand By Me and the work uh, they do and have continued to do uh, for children across the world, even uh, during a pandemic. We also thank for you, Lord, for the, the opportunity to support the work they do. Uh, we'd ask that you give us uh, attentive ears to listen to what Johnny has to say to us. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and specifically, good morning, boys and girls. Hopefully, you have come in to join uh, with us. This morning, we're going to think a little bit about a verse in Hebrews. It's a verse in Hebrews 13, and it's verse 16. And in this verse, Hebrews is telling us about how to live our lives for God. And the verse says this. It says, Do not forget to do good and to help one another. Because these are the sacrifices that please God. And so we look at this verse and the Bible tells us that in living for God, that we have to have some sacrifice, that we give things up to do good for others. And for us in Stand By Me, our heart is to look after lots and lots of boys and girls around the world. Now I wonder 
where has been the most interesting place that you've ever slept? I'm going to hopefully show you a little photograph here. I'm not sure whether you've slept in a really, really nice hotel before. That feels like something's from another lifetime now. Um, but perhaps you've gone and you've slept in an incredible hotel. Maybe that's the best place that you've ever slept. Or perhaps, maybe, your idea of a good night's sleep is to pitch a tent somewhere, get outside into the great outdoors. I remember a couple of summers ago, uh, my daughter, Karis, who was about four years old at the time, she said to me, she said, Daddy, can we go camping? And I did what all good mums and dads do, and I thought, of course we can go camping. We can go camping as far as the back garden, so that if anything happened, we could just come back in. If we couldn't get to sleep, we'd just come back into the house. And so we pitched our tent, and the very next morning, we woke up, and Karis turned around, and she looked straight at me, and she said, Daddy, that was amazing. Can we go to Tullymore next week? And so the next week, we went to Tullymore. It's one of the best places I think there are to sleep is in a tent. But whether you sleep in a hotel or whether you sleep in a tent, for me, the best thing about it all is that you don't have to make your bed. That's got to be the best part, because if you're in a hotel, somebody else makes your bed for you. And if you're in a tent, well, you don't really have much of a bed to make. And one of the things in Stand By Me that we've been trying to do to help our boys and girls, lots and lots of things that we do, but one thing that we've been trying to do this month is to help make beds for our boys and girls. It's our little bit of good, and just as that verse in Hebrew says, it's a little bit of good that requires a little bit of sacrifice. We've asked lots and lots of people, and I know that lots of boys and girls from Crescent have done this as well, that you've given up your bed and slept on the floor, a pretty interesting place to sleep, to help our boys and girls in countries like Ethiopia get their very first bed. I want to show you a little video this morning of one of the boys that we've been able to help. His name is Gemachi. Each morning, Gamachu wakes up in his hometown of Bokaji in Ethiopia. The small makeshift construction that he calls home provides little cover from the elements, but within these four walls he hopes and dreams that one day life could be very different. Around his home are daily reminders of the struggle of everyday life. Gemachu's mother makes a living by selling charcoal to passers-by and with each large bag that she sells she earns 25 pence to help care for her family. At the end of a long day Gemachu and his family lie down on a sack filled with grass to try to get a night's sleep. We want to do everything we can to help Gemachu and we purchased the materials needed to raise his family off the floor and into their very first bed. With anticipation, Gemachu followed the horse and cart that brought a proper bed to his house for the first time. 
The simple gift of a bed has made a huge difference to Gemachu's family. He now has somewhere comfortable to sit and to do his homework and knows that he will be safe and warm enjoying an incredible night's sleep. After a good night's sleep, Gemachu wakes up refreshed to come to our school where he receives all the love, care and attention he needs to thrive. It was back in January last year whenever Gemachu got his very first bed. We had been out in Ethiopia and I'd gone to visit his house, a very, very small makeshift home. And knowing that for this last year, as Gemachu's had to stay at home to stay safe and to keep his family safe, knowing that he has had the simple gift of a bed is one of the little ways that we're able to show people God's love in action. And so if you've given up your bed, as I know that many of you have over the last week, I want to say a huge thank you because it makes such a big, big difference to boys and girls just like Gamachi. As we live making a sacrifice so that others can know just how good God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can take the little things that we have in our hands, God, and that we can give them to you. And God, whenever we give our little bit to you, God, that you can do amazing things through it. God, we thank you for all of the ways that boys and girls around the world are being looked after and cared for by Stand By Me. God, we thank you that boys and girls, just like Gemachu, have a bed to sleep in, that they have a school that they can come to, that they get food, and that they get all the love and care and attention they need to thrive. God, we pray for them today. We pray that they would know just how good you are, God, and just how much you love them. God, help us to live our lives for you, doing our little bits of good that help to change the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Um, our opening hymn this morning is uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, a modern version of a classic hymn which reminds us of the Lord's grace uh, and the freedom we have through Christ. Now, the team have assured me that everyone is muted, so I'd encourage you to sing out uh, wherever you are, and after that, I'll hand back over to Johnny.
Well, good morning again, everyone. It is so good uh, to be with you this morning and to get to share a little bit uh, of our heart in Stand By Me and a little bit of what God is doing around the world as we rescue and care for children. Uh, If you've heard of Stand By Me before, you'll know that we have a number of schools around the world and we provide family-style homes for children in our care. We have care centers that reach out to make a difference in the local community. In seven different countries around the world, we're looking after just under 4,000 kids today. And for us, our heart in it all is to show kids God's love in action, to point them to the love of the Father. And so this morning, as we reflect on International Aid Sunday, I want us to think about the importance of family and the importance of home. One of the things that has been a big difference in the last 12 months for me uh, is that I've spent much more time around home. Uh, Normally, I would travel a few times a year to spend time with our kids and our staff, which often means for me uh, there's moments much like this one uh, where I spend time in an airport uh, getting ready to say cheerio to my kids. Now, this photo was taken uh, about this time two years ago when I was in Belfast City Airport getting ready to head off uh, around the world to Myanmar to spend a few weeks uh, with our kids. And it's probably one of the challenges uh, in working for Stand By Me is that you have to leave uh, home. But there's this beautiful moment on every trip, normally a day or two before, uh, where after the busyness of being away, you start to turn and and think back to, to being home and being back with your kids. It's one of my favorite moments is getting to arrive back home and spend time uh, with family. Um, for me, whenever I came back from Myanmar, the country also known as Burma, uh, I arrived back into Belfast. And whenever I got home, uh, the kids' reactions couldn't have been any more different. Uh, Karis, who's the oldest, came running up to me, hugs, I've missed you so much, Daddy, it's so good to see you home, I love you. Matthew was far quieter, a lot more thoughtful and reflective. And Matthew didn't really say much to me until we were sitting down to have our dinner. And as we were sitting down having our dinner, Matthew turned and he looked at me. And he looked at me with a look in his eyes that I knew that whatever he was about to say next was going to so perfectly sum up this father-son relationship that we have. So as all parents in the 21st century do, I very quickly grabbed my phone because I wanted to capture this moment as Matthew found the words to say to express how he feels about me, his dad. And now, by the wonders of technology, I'm going to share that video, hopefully, with you. I'm not sure whether you heard Matthew's words there, but if you didn't, uh, what Matthew's exact words were, were, I want daddy 
to go back to Burma. Two and a half weeks I'd spent away in Burma. I think I'd be home for no more than about two and a half hours. And yet this little child looks at me and goes, it'd be really funny if you went away again. And sometimes when you come home, you get the reaction that you're not expecting. It's the reaction that you're not anticipating. And this morning, as we think about family and as we think about home, I want to share with you a story, it's a well-known story in the scriptures from Luke chapter 15, a story that captures so much of this sense of coming home but getting a reaction that you weren't expecting. It's the last in a trilogy of parables where Jesus is speaking to a very broad range of people. He's got Pharisees, he's got tax collectors, he's got sinners. He's got the most religious and those who are deemed to be outside of the family of God. And as Jesus shares these three stories, he demonstrates something of what the gospel is. This message of good news to all of mankind. It's a familiar story where the son turns up to his father, and although he already owns everything, he feels like he lacks his freedom. And so he speaks to his father, and he asks his father to give him his share of the inheritance. Perhaps the most scandalous thing for the audience as they listened when Jesus first told that story was that the father obliged that he took what the son would eventually get and he gave it to him now. And the son goes off and he uh, lives his life. He enjoys some freedom for a while, but ultimately he finds that it ends in famine. And so we'll break in at Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. It says this, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The only way that this son can see as a way to get back to the father is to offer to come back and to work for him. He sees that this relationship is so damaged by what has gone before that his only offer can be to be a hard servant, essentially to be on the very bottom rung of the ladder. And so as he makes his journey back, I imagine that in his mind, he's playing over these words, playing over these words, rehearsing what he's going to say. Then in verse 20, we read this. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now remember, at this point when he had rehearsed this speech, this is where he was going to make the offer. Take me back as one of your hired servants. And yet it's at exactly this point where the father interrupts. He doesn't allow him to offer to earn the father's love. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
I love the joy of the father in this moment. It's almost as if he doesn't hear the son's rehearsed speech. And certainly if he does, he wants him to know that he is welcomed back, not because of what he can do, but because of who the father is. That is the beauty of the gospel. And the father immediately treats him as a son. Go and fetch the best robe, likely the father's robe. Get a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet. Servants would often have not worn shoes. This was a sign that you are family. And then the feast. Go and get the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate because my son who was lost is found. And so in this story, we find that when we come home to the Father, we come home to hope. This is the beauty of the gospel. And yet the irony is the older brother, uh, we know who is out working at the time, he suffers from the same problem. The older brother too has clearly been living as a slave his whole life, trying to earn his father's favor. And so the father again sets out to go and find the other son, to go and to speak to him. And it's always the father who is in pursuit inviting his children to see their place in the family. Not because of what they do for the father, but because of who the father is. And so the beauty of the story that Jesus tells is that he's not defining who's in and who's out, as the Pharisees may have expected him to do, but he throws wide the door of the kingdom and explains that this message of the gospel is a message of hope to everyone, that if we give our lives to Jesus, we can experience the love of the Father, that for each of us, we can be adopted into the family of God. In Ephesians 1, it says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so for us this morning, we celebrate because we get to be part of this incredible family. We have received this adoption into the family of God. As the scriptures tell us, we are sons and daughters of the king. We are co-heirs with Christ. And as we realize our position in the family, as we grow and as we follow Jesus, we take on the family likeness. We take on those traits. We want to reflect the family values to the world. We want to point people to the Father who is full of love and grace and mercy and compassion. And so for us in Stand By Me, we seek to reach out to some of the poorest children in the world to invite them to realize that there is a father who loves them and cares for them. As we look around the world, we realize that almost 2 billion people are still living on less than $3.20 per day. And in some ways, when we hear statistics like this, the problem can seem so big, so insurmountable, that even our best intentions or our best actions are like a drop in the ocean. And yet for us in Stand By Me, our heart has always, always been to care for individuals, 
And so across the world, from Colombia to Ethiopia to Nepal, we rescue kids and then we look after them and provide the love, the care, the attention that they need to thrive. It's about getting to know individuals, journeying through life with them, showing them God's love in action every step of the way. When I was out in Myanmar, when I was out in Burma a couple of years ago, one of the real privileges that I had was to get to meet one of the youngest children in our Stand By Me family, a little girl whose name is Naomi. And Naomi was a very special surprise for us in Stand By Me. We never knew that she was going to join the family, but when she joined our family, she immediately became part of one of our family homes. And while I was out in Myanmar, one of our house parents sat with me one day and explained that moment of the first day that she met Naomi. And I want to show you a short film now. เกกะมินไงคันวามพีกะปะซอลเปนังตะทอนฮีกะนูปองกบินะตูมะกุมซอมเดกุมกุกากิปันเอ่อโซเฟียโฮมะตะกะเกนเทสนาวปังตัมป
From abandoned to accepted, uh, Naomi's smile tells nothing of the story of those first few days of her life, uh, but reflects so much of the heart of what we try to do in Stand By Me, as we try to provide kids with the care, the love, the attention that they need to thrive. We'll look after Naomi until she can stand on her own two feet, until she is able to go on and become everything that God created her to be. Because in Stand By Me, we want to be a family, but we want to reflect the family of God. We want to be able to point kids like Naomi to the God who loves her, who cares for her, who, who is wanting her to know uh, that she is accepted and valued. I love the words of one of our house parents, that she would come to know God, have faith in Jesus, become an educated woman, and do something great for other people. This is our heart as we reach out and as we care for children. And our family homes provide so much love and reassurance for kids that have had such difficult starts to life. Whether they've been orphaned, abused, or abandoned across the world, we care for so many kids who just need that reassurance of family. Alongside that, in Ethiopia and Colombia and numerous other countries around the world, we want to make sure that our kids get access to a life-changing education. A little over 15 years ago, we arrived out in Ethiopia for the first time to go and to see the needs of a small community where a church had built a small school, two mud hut classrooms, to try and provide an education for some children. And over the last 15 years, our work in Ethiopia has grown where we now care for around 1,000 kids across two separate towns. Kids like Dershai. I spent time with Dershai in November of 2019. Dershai lives in a small one-room mud hut home with very little inside it. And she lives with her mum and her little sister. Before Stand By Me were caring for Dershai, she spent most of her time helping her mum around the house, doing jobs like collecting firewood, helping to cook food, and perhaps most importantly, helping to look after her little sister. And as I sat and as I talked to Dershai's mum, who's called Gishu, I asked her, what do you do to try and get by? How do you earn an income? And she sat and she showed me how she would weave these baskets that at times could take months to make. And then she would head to the local market to try and sell them to make a small income. But the income that she would make from weaving these baskets was never enough uh, to look after and care for her two kids. And so for us in Stand By Me, when we heard of Gishu wanting to provide for her kids, but the struggle that life was, then we reached out and offered Dershai a place in our school. And now Dershai, she gets to come along to our school every single day. 
where she starts the day and first thing in the morning, she gets a healthy breakfast. She gets to go to assembly. She gets to go to class. In the middle of the day, she gets an incredibly healthy lunch. And the, the best thing, perhaps, if you were to ask Dershai, is when she comes to school, she gets to play. She gets to spend time with her friends. She gets a chance for just kids to simply be kids. And undoubtedly, the most important thing that we can do for Dershai is to give her a chance to get an education. Dershai's dream is that one day that she will go on to become a doctor. And as you chat to her and her friends, it's not a a distant dream. It's a dream of children who are seeing kids grow up through our school, going on to high school and on to university. These dreams are all of a sudden becoming a reality for our kids in Ethiopia. And so for Dershai, as she comes to school every day, she has this opportunity to become everything that God made her to be. And we have this opportunity to show her and tell her of God's love each and every single day. But if I'm honest, last year in March, when we realized that we were moving into lockdown and we realized that the world was also moving into lockdown, my mind in that first moment when we heard that Ethiopia would go into lockdown went straight back to that little one-room mud hut. And I thought of Geshu as a parent trying to look after two children. I thought about how you were struggling to make an income anyway, and with our schools closed, we knew that our kids would be cut off from the lifeline that is two meals a day. And so we prayed as a staff team and we had a a brief conversation with our board and we said, we feel that God is asking us to provide food for these families for the next month. We spoke to our staff in Ethiopia who worked out that they could provide food for families for 40 pounds a month, a thousand families. We spoke to our board and said, we feel that we need to do this. It's a step of faith. And so we sent money out uh, to our staff and they were able to go and buy soap so that our kids could wash their hands to protect themselves against the coronavirus. They were able to go and buy food sources and supplies and they were able to deliver them to those families for the first month. But then as we realized more and more uh, that the journey out from this pandemic was going to be a long one, we realized that we would have to provide this support for a while. And so in faith, we committed to provide for our families as long as it took. And the amazing thing is this, God is good. God is faithful. As we took that step of faith, God provided through the generosity of his church. And as people reached out to us, we were able to reach out to more and more families. And last year, throughout from March until November, we were able to feed and provide monthly food parcels to 1,500 families. Those families in Ethiopia, families in Colombia, and families in Romania. Families that were struggling to get by, but yet every month knew that someone would turn up and show and reflect to them the love of the Father, a Father who longs for us to come home to know that we can find truth and love and peace and forgiveness through Jesus. So each of these food parcels as they went out with that tangible expression of God's love, was that expression that we are adopted into his family. And a, a quote that I came across during lockdown when I was reading that stuck with me since, it was this quote by Mother Teresa, who said, the problem with the world 
is that we draw the circle of our family too small. It's this invitation, it's this encouragement to look bigger, to reach out. For me, as much as Stand By Me is a a missions organization, it feels so much more like a family. As we look out for and care for those who have needs around us, as we long for them to come to know the Father. I'll finish with one last story, which is a very personal one, as this is one of the kids that we as a family sponsor through Stand By Me. His name is Adana. I met Adana a few years ago when I was out in Ethiopia. And Adana and I became best friends very quickly. I'm not sure that I had much choice in that matter. We were just best friends and he would clear people away so I could sit beside him in class and we would play football together during the break times. And every day of the week, Adana wanted to spend time and I loved getting to spend time with him. And on the very last day of the week, he came to me and told me that today was the day that his family were going to get a bed. He invited me to come down to meet a lady who he introduced to me as his mother. Um, Whenever we had stood in front of that whole group of people who were receiving beds that day and told them why we do what we do, this tangible expression of the love of the Father, as we prayed for those families, my expectation as I finished praying was that people would go and gather the horses and carts and begin to take their beds back to the home. But yet, uh, this lady stepped forward in the middle of this photograph. She introduced herself in front of everyone. She clarified something from earlier that morning. She said, I'm not Adana's mother, I'm Adana's grandmother. And she went on to explain something of his story. As we literally no more than scratched the surface of this little child's life. And she told us about how his mother had met someone else and moved away to another town and didn't spend any time, had no interest in her son. She went on to explain how his dad had passed away the year before. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, every day since then, I've worried about what will happen to Adana when I'm not here to care for him. But now I know I don't need to worry because you care for him like a father and a mother. This is the picture of not just who we're called to be and and stand by me, but this is the picture of who we are called to be as a church. It's people who enlarge the family. It's people who reach out and tell others about the goodness of the Father. We journeyed up to Adana's tiny little home, and we took this small gift of a bed, and we moved it into his house. And as we sat on that tiny little bed frame, I asked Adana's grandmother who his sponsor was. She explained that because he just started the school, he didn't have a sponsor. And I did something that I don't often encourage people to do, but I made an executive financial decision without consulting Laura. I said, we would love to be your sponsor. And so for Adana, sponsorship is so much more than simply money that provides food and water and an education. It's a relationship. I love getting to go and to visit Adana and to see him grow and and flourish and thrive. I love that we get to show him God's love in action every day. And I love the impact that I see it have on my own kids, who each nighttime want to sit down and pray for kids that we sponsor like Adana. And so for us as a church, we are part of this incredible story of what God is doing around the world. When we look out and we see the need, we know that we have a Father in heaven who can meet that need. 
We know that we have an opportunity to reflect the family likeness to people as we are people that go out and tell others of the goodness of God, of the love of the Father, of the Savior that is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when Jesus shared those parables of things that were lost, things that had gone missing, it was this celebration when those lost things were found. Father, we thank you that as Jesus spoke to such a diverse group of people, God, that his invitation wasn't to just one particular part of that group. It wasn't an affirmation of the religious who would seek to earn the Father's favor. It wasn't an affirmation that those outsiders would be perpetually outsiders. But God, it was an invitation as Jesus threw wide the arms of grace and invited us to find our place adopted into the family of God. Father, as we think about uh, the challenges of life in this season, but as we think about the challenges in life for many who live in poverty. God, we thank you that as your church, we can reach out and point people right across this world to the love of the Father written on Neil's scarred hands. Father, we thank you that as we reach out, we point people to a Savior that is Jesus. God, we thank you that through our words and our actions, we can daily convey to people the hope, the love, the grace that can be found in only the Father through Jesus. And so, God, we pray for uh, the children that we've thought about today. We thank you for Naomi, one of the youngest members of our Stand By Me family. We pray for Dershai and her sister and her mom as they continue to work their way through lockdown. We thank you for Adana, who feels like he has a connection to a family on the other side of the world. But God, I thank you that he knows that he is part of a heavenly family because he loves Jesus as his savior. And so God, we pray that as we look out, Father, as we look across the street and around the world, God, that you would show us the opportunities to be your hands and feet, that in our words and in our actions, we would show people the love of God, both this week and for the rest of this year. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Johnny, for bringing us this update and, and for all the hard work that's going on through um, Stand By Me. And the, the story of the Good Samaritan has reminded us of the Father's love for us and for all his children, and children like this little boy, Gamaju, and this little girl, Naomi, um, who are created in your image. Um, so it's our prayer as a church uh, that God would continue to bless you in your work uh, through Stand By Me and that through that, um, little boys and girls like these could be adopted um, as sons and daughters of God. Um, if anyone would like uh, to support the work of Stand By Me uh, via the Crescent, you can do that via online banking or by posting a check to the church um, addressed to Stand By Me. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we'll be back again this evening at 7 p.m. on Zoom and on YouTube uh, for the fourth in our series, Isn't Christianity Oppressive? Uh, with Ollie and Jim, and we hope to see you again there.
And I think we just have time to, to squeeze in our closing hymn, uh, which will be uh, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And again, I'd encourage you to sing out. Thank you. <laughs>